listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, what's going on? Ah, well, I'm recording a podcast with you, Jeff. That's yes, you are. Yes. Um, and it's a, it's. I think it's going to be a fun one today. Um, we've, uh, you know, we 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 approach the world of manufacturing marketing largely from the marketing and sometimes sales angle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, the world of communications is broader than that, and uh, I think today's guest is going to help uh, bring that into some perspective. No, I think it should be interesting and a good conversation. So joining us today is David Ward. David is the Director of Public Affairs at the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. David, welcome to The Cooler Ring. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to have the conversation today. David, it's like a little bit of old home week for me. I'm an old like PR hack, and I used to work in politics and did government relations for a while, So, um, but all from a purely Canadian perspective. So uh, which is probably, sorry a lot. Which, well, yeah, and it's probably a little bush league probably compared to like, <laughs> you know, what's going on down in, Boston, but, uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's, it's great to be chatting with you. David, I wonder if you could uh, maybe just start by giving our listeners a, a bit of texture around, uh, your role with the association, a little bit more of what to, what you do and what the association is. About. Sure thing. Um, here in DC, we, um, at the association of equipment manufacturers, my role is, to really act as the communications lead on everything advocacy related for our industry and our association here. We're acting as the voice of equipment manufacturers, which are, you know, a thousand member companies, just a little over that, I believe, you know, most of these companies are, are coming from a, a global perspective with, with uh, headquarters outside of North America. Um, but then they have, of course, their North American operations. And what we're trying to do is just get the best possible outcome for them from an advocacy perspective here in DC. Um, you know, I do work with a, a much larger team back in our headquarters, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, our association is over 125 years old. Um, so um, we've been around, but uh, my role working closely with, with our headquarters and others there, um, again, here just trying to get the, the best possible outcome from an advocacy perspective um, here in DC, our nation's capital. Very cool. I think, um, you know, it's, David, this makes you a very unique guest on the Cooler yeah. Ring, um, coming at it from this perspective. And in our um, lead up to discussion today, um, you talked a lot about kind of a, a bit of a communications first approach to marketing or more of a bring a communications point of view or a lens to the world of, of marketing writ large. And I just wonder if um, if you could go into some detail on that. Sure. You know, coming at it from a perspective where I guess, you know, with the experiences that I've had in in education, you know, I I have a couple uh, graduate degrees, one more research driven, one more applied, um, both between those and then my experience while working with uh, GE in the oil and gas business. uh, It's it's developed this perspective of having a, a 360 degree communications perspective for any sort of project that I work on um, here or elsewhere is you know, starting first with who is your target audience, maybe who's your secondary target audience, and think about the, the all different ways that I can engage with them in a holistic way, um, whether it's uh, you know, doing uh, social media and digital media, earned, um, you know, paid marketing, 
or even considering the fact that you have to pay attention to what you're doing internally and collaborating with others internally and, and leveraging what others are doing within your organization, um, that would provide you with your best possible way to, to reach those target audiences that you may not even be aware of if you were kind of working in a silo. So for a communications perspective, that 360-degree communications perspective is just trying to consider all your different options, all different avenues, and, and not leaving anything unturned. Uh, it's not throwing the kitchen sink at it. It's just thinking it through from a strategic perspective, um, holistic perspective communications-wise, and, and going at it that way. David, there were a few things in there that I just wanted to kind of go further on. And one that occurs to me, I guess, and maybe it's because I, you know, kind of cut my teeth a bit in uh, on the on the more PR side as well. But I, I feel like a lot of people um, don't get enough. Um, uh, I guess they don't don't get enough out of their earned media strategy, or maybe consider um, how how important that could be to their overall mix. Does that resonate at all with you? It seems to me sometimes marketers are so, you know, thinking about how to go and and pay to get their message out there, and and maybe they don't, um, maybe they miss some opportunities along the way. Yeah, I would say you know, collaborating marketers collaborating collaborating with their media colleagues is a you know great almost free avenue for great uh, marketing outcomes. You know, if you get a really great story and and a syndicated outlet um, that gets it to a wider audience or just an, a, the outlet that that is most read to you know executives or other decision makers in the industry, that's that's sort of gold right there. Um, and and these days, I would still uh, stress that you know, good relationship building um, with key reporters covering your industry or interested in your industry. Um, it, it, in a way, it does a lot of the work for you, and it's it's something that I would personally still say is important um, if you think through it in a smart way, um, in in collaboration again with your with your earned media your earned media team. Um, it, you know, paid. I definitely understand the importance of paid and how targeted it can be, but the earned side, if done the right way, is a great, almost free way to get the message out there, and engage with the audience you want. And is. Getting earned media getting easier or harder? You know, I think if it, it's getting easier and harder at the same time for different reasons. But I, I think if you approach it the right way, um, for me at least, um, it works. And and it's not getting harder if you do the right things. And, and getting in front of the right reporters early on, getting to them before they come to you for, for a story, getting them to get a better understanding, getting them out to into the field in your industry. We have obviously a lot of factories and facilities across the country. Um, they love, a lot of reporters that I deal with, they love getting into the field. That's like, that's just the most important thing. They want to be able to feel, understand their story, right? And, and talk to people firsthand. It, you can't pick up the phone and pitch them and expect the same sort of outcome as you would if you kind of immerse them in that story. And you do that way before they're even considering writing the story. And so I, I think if done the right way, it's, um, you know, all that's not, not, not easy to do, but it, if it's, if it's done the right way, you, you don't make it harder on yourself unnecessarily. Of course, it doesn't hurt if, you know, you get to take the reporters out and throw them in a skid steer and they can drive it around. <laughs> you know, exactly. First-hand knowledge. There's, there's, no, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, and, and of course, beyond that, I mean, it, it points the way for I think content creation too. I mean, mm. uh, you know, I, I, you know, I wonder how many marketers are truly thinking of um, uh, 
the earned media target audience um, when they're thinking about Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I mean, they they are creating the content for you. It's almost like you're if you if you have a good relationship and a good trust there, uh, they they have shops. I mean, a lot of a lot of, you know Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, they have they have their own internal content development development shops, Washington Post that can really do a good job telling the story, especially if you feel like you, you most of your budget's dedicated to paid or you're not, you know, if you want to have stretch it a bit further, like they can do a lot of the work for you. I mean, I would say other than that, um, we are, I mean, there's others I've seen done who do hire former journalists that, that bring those sort of practices in house in a way, perhaps not officially full, full-time employees, but consultants or contractors and then trained journalists can do a really good job of that content development for you, whether you're, you know, having to pitch them and earn their their work through traditional earned media practices, or I think I've seen others do a pretty good job. Um, ABB, I think, was one um, technology down down North Carolina that they uh, they they've had done, folks do it for them and, and do a really great job of telling their story through a, a good content um, development um, um, practice. So yeah. Do you um, do you think? So we we hear so much these days within the media. You know, a lot of reporters and journalists are being uh, laid off or becoming freelance. Do you find that now that there probably are so many ex journalists in the mix from a marketing and content creation perspective that it actually makes your job easier because they know how to work with you? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. Um, they know how to work with us. They know what 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 readers like. Um, Generally, uh, and there's a certain formula to that. Um, with that said, I, I, I guess you know, just like anything else, and I think our marketing team within our association is really good. And you know, I've, I've been in in the inner workings of the the New Washington Post, which I look at every single day across the street here in D.C. Um, or at, at the NPR office just down the street. Um, their content gets seen because they pay attention to their metrics, and um, our marketing team does that too, really well. Um, and you know, if you develop good content, but it's not, but if it, you're not quite sure, you have to be able to pay attention if it's getting clicked on, if it's getting read, and then you know, develop content that's similar to that. Um, you know, recycle success in a way. So I would agree with that, but I think it's just, you know, to really feel like you are informed and you know, pay attention to your metrics, pay attention to your open rates, your click-through rates, uh, and things like that to kind of understand what your audience is wanting to. It's a fair point, and I want to also another item that you mentioned in, in thinking about this 360 degree approach was an emphasis on internal communications that I don't know that we've brought to the show uh, before. Sure. So uh, David, I'd like to, to hear more about your experience there um, and, and what you've seen uh, from folks that are doing it well. So it seems to me that there's something to this. Uh, if you want to do communications well outside, it maybe starts inside. Yeah, I, it's another thing. I think while at my you know, Georgetown program and then even uh, at GE um, was this idea that paying attention to what you do um, with internal communications and um, everything from your executive leadership on down to your workers is fostering this sense of 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 a of a of a culture of open communication and 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 uh, thinking on projects that kind of pulls in different different um, inputs from different different places that you may not otherwise get from a highly structured, um, you know, top-down sort of approach. And, you know, one person, uh, Rebecca Laurel Edwards or Becky Edwards, 
she worked at GE. She was the person what, that I know how I ended up there. She went on to work at the Olympics. Now she's with Schneider Electric. And she was a global communications officer that really stressed the internal communication side. And I've seen others like Dusan Bobcat, um, North American headquarters in, in, in North Dakota, uh, do the same sort of thing where they really, you know, just even t- on the day-to-day level and, and the meeting spaces they have and, and just uh, the office environment and how their facilities are set up, uh, really stressing the idea of, you know, not really overly investing in one perspective, especially from a, a sort of a top-down perspective, but trying to get a wi- really well-rounded input from everyone involved um, in the production of a, of a product, um, of a piece of equipment, and understanding how they can make it better. And you know, the com- comms marketing team is a part of that discussion, What what's making sense. And at the end of the day, you come up with a better product, and the marketing team is, by being immersed with that, I think, and the communications team being immersed with that, they're better informed of what they're what they're trying to sell and what they were trying to speak to. So I, I think it's perhaps something that's undervalued traditionally, not just in on the on the comm side, but perhaps I would think possibly as well on the marketing side is just trying to leverage your resources, trying to get that 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 all the different viewpoints internally. And I think it once you go external, it makes your job a lot easier. I think it can sometimes be uh, frustrating if folks, I mean, it seems sometimes if you bring two or more people together and ask them what their problem is, <laughs> um, it, it'll basically come down to communication. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Uh, you know, be it a, a marital situation, coworkers, or an entire organization. Um, uh, so, I, you know, that can obviously uh, be daunting, but it's, so it's always nice to hear stories of uh, organizations that, that are doing it well. And, um, and it seems like Bobcat has done things, um, you know, even just within their workspace and uh, to help foster this, this attitude more broadly. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I would say if you're thinking of a next interview uh, e to go to, I, would, I can connect you with them. But I, I just, in general, Dusan was a great example so far my year plus here within the equipment manufacturing industry of, of folks who really pay attention to that sort of detail. Um, you know, I, communications, you know, sometimes for us, we, I think you, we have to think of ourselves as not just communications, but just collaboration officers. And, and that's what I try to do every day. And that's what I think I, I've seen others do in our industry do well. The Cooler Ring is proud to be a media sponsor of the 2019 Manufacturer Ed Summit Conference, which is being held September 16th to 18th in Chicago, Illinois. Carvin and I will be live on site recording interviews for future episodes of The Cooler Ring. You can save $200 now with the discount code COOLERPARTNERS200 at ManufactureEdSummit.com. That's ManufactureEdSummit.com. David, I wonder if we might turn our attention a bit to just how your craft is changing um, as the world changes around us. And... Um, you know, I, I get a sense that, um, you know, clearly, uh, you know, you have a focus on content creation and things of that sort within your role that, um, uh, I guess I'd like to kind of unpack that a bit and understand more of the changes that you're seeing. Yeah. I mean, I guess, um, specifically for me and in, in the advocacy world here in DC, you know, communications, there's a lot of transformation when it comes to things, of course, like digital media and social media. And even that has changed, it feels like in some ways so much in the last, not just the last 10 years, but in the last two years or one year, of course, every year it's, it's changing dramatically. And, you know, that provides, still provides a lot of, a lot of opportunities, but unless you're 
an industry like I don't know the re renewable energy industry that I was a part of recently. Um, if you're not a naturally, uh, um, you know, Googleable, <laughs> uh, Googleable is that even a word? Um, uh, I, yeah, like I worked for wind energy, and I felt like everything that we, a lot of things we did on social was just it blew up a lot of times because people, Americans, are sort of curious about it. But for non-sexy industries, it's it's harder to break out, but even, especially on social media, um, outside of your just you know most passionate, interested um, audiences, and you have to do a lot of paid, and that can be costly. Uh, you can do it in the right way, right, and, and do targeted stuff and everything, but still, you know, spending a bit more money to get into to that social media sort of channel. Um, other things like thought leadership work and, and LinkedIn, that's a good good avenue, but. Um, other things that I think more cutting edge, perhaps, especially here in DC, when it comes to advocacy, is you know using and, and integrating virtual reality technology um, to you know bring bring what you want to show and and, and tell uh, policymakers and their staff and others um, what your industry is capable of, you know what what's in, what's um, what is uh, going to be impacted in what way, perhaps. I mean, we can bring a VR set of goggles or a few of them to the offices of the Capitol Hill, but you, it's a lot harder to set up a demonstration of a, you know, a field being torn, turned over by a, you know, a, a front loader or excavator or something like that on the, on the national mall. You can't quite do that <laughs> um, without, yeah, yeah, without going through a, yeah, a crazy of permits or, I mean, imagine stuff like that's not even possible, but the VR side of things, you can, you know, a lot of what I think people talk about is interactivity, right? And, and not just, it allows you to do that two-way symmetrical communication, um, not a one-way street sort of deal. And the VR thing helps you kind of really immerse people that way. And, and doing more, more of those types of things is really um, going to be really helpful for us, I think. I, I love that. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's so funny because, you, you, I mean, you know, sometimes it seemed like the promise of VR was never kind of never quite lived up to mm. the hype for the longest time. So it's just so refreshing to see it being applied so and used so practically yeah, um, in a business environment. And, and, and frankly, to help drive better policy decisions. Um, I, I, I guess, when did you start seeing that on the Hill? And would you say it's really just become a very commonplace thing now? I'm hearing more people uh, or organizations um, successfully pulling those types of things off. Um, I think part of it, of course, I think is just the cost has come down and uh, to, or to develop the content and, and to use a sort of hardware. But um, only very few that I've heard have been able to quickly turn it around. A lot of talk about it and they want to do it, but then they um, just haven't implemented. So I think it's still emerging in a way. It's not commonplace, but it's definitely um, become a more realistic option um, that people are starting to do it more and more here. Yeah, that's an asset that could be, you know, leveraged well beyond the advocacy side of things, mm -hmm. of course. I mean, for, for a marketing organization to invest yeah. in that, to be used for... Um, potentially for, for, for earned media, uh, media relations, advocacy work, but it also for you know, trade shows. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. to ima uh, imagine how that. At GE, work. I know at our booth at trade shows, and that was always the most popular thing. I mean, I, I think obviously marketing folks, places like GE, they've been deploying VR for you know longer than, than what we've seen from the advocacy side the last two or three or more years, probably for sure. But um, even, you know, trade shows, I was, you know, with the oil and gas business at GE or, or here in our industry and, and even with wind before, not a lot of people are doing that. Um, it's It's been you know, about a, a year now since I was in the oil and gas business, so I, I would think more doing it. But, you know, 
not as much as I would have thought um, we're doing it, considering how popular those things are at, at the trade shows. Trade show advice when we're talking about uh, <laughs> communications uh, and, and advocacy work. So you never know where it's going to come from. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. Uh, David, I wonder, um, I, I don't know where this is going to go. So, you know, if you don't want to answer it, or, um, but I'm just curious if there, you know, it seems to me that there, there's a lot of talk in the world of marketing these days about telling people telling their story or being storytellers. Um, I, I may sound a little eye rolly when I say that only because I think, you know, it's just so buzzwordy these days in some way. But, you know, I think somebody approaching uh, the, the world of marketing from a more communication-centric perspective may have a point of view on that around, you know, what's the one thing or some tips that um, that you might give to manufacturers to better tell their story than they may do today? Um, that's a that's a good question. I mean, we I think we talked earlier that, from the earned media perspective, there's things that I've seen folks do. I think I may have mentioned like APB, um, where they actually are hiring hiring journalists or former journalists to um, act as contractors to provide this sort of uh, you know well um, well um, well oiled sort of uh, format to to content creation and development and storytelling um, that they can then market from and 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 use, but from I don't know from from content perspective, new things or interesting things. I, I we we've won a, several awards in the last few years and some of the content and, and stories that we try to tell. Um, and I don't know. It, it's it, it's for us. We we focus a lot on our workers and and who what the impact looks like and and showing what their everyday lives are beyond the day to day work that they do. But I think there's probably a better way to answer this question that you're. Um, that you're asking. Yeah, I think that's. A, I mean, it's interesting to know what's worked for you as an organization or as an association as well. That you're, you're telling me that the content that you've produced that goes a little bit more human interest and goes beyond um, the surface of of the worker and their role has tended to resonate more. Yes, on one side, I would you know trying to think about you know I mean policymakers they just love being able to tell stories of you know I heard from. John in my district, he works, you know, 10 to 10 to 10 every day or long hours and they, it's a blue collar job and, and I'm helping them and their families put food on the table and send their kids to college. And, you know, they don't get those stories unless we provide it to them or it's very rare that they get to tell those stories unless we give them an opportunity to kind of meet those workers. We hold events throughout the year where we're inviting policymakers out to those facilities or we're developing our own content focused around these workers to try to tell their stories and bring it to them on the hill or deliver it to them in some other sort of social media channel or other sort of way that we can hit them. Um, but I mean, other good pieces of content I've seen work really well, whether it was with wind or here is showing off your technology uh, in a really cool, interesting way um, through videos. I mean, we, we would show at wind, we would show how a wind turbine gets uh, installed in, in that process in a, in, a, in a sped up loop kind of thing. Or some of the best things that we've seen perform on social media from my industry is just watching a piece of your equipment come off the line and all the things that kind of go with that. Um, or even just uh, one getting delivered on a, on a work site and what's capable of is showing your technology off um, in a way that a lot of these things, it's, you know, their projects that take a long time. So <laughs> you have to, one thing that always helps is speeding up that video timeline over but I just in general, I've seen most of the engagement. People are just, a lot of people 
don't always see the product at play and and showing up technology that way in their and its environment can help too but um our audience here at least in dc is our policymakers and and they like to tell stories of of the human um their their constituents back home um and ways that they're helping out with that it's not often I get political on this podcast, uh, but I'm curious. <laughs> Generally try to avoid it. Yeah, but I, it does occur to me that I think a lot of the political narrative around manufacturing uh, in North America is focused on the blue-collar side of it. Mm. And frankly, that isn't necessarily the manufacturing that I see in my no. day-to-day. Uh, now, there's some of that, of course. I mean, there's blue-collar work as part of it, but it's also mm-hmm. a remarkable amount mm-hmm. of high-tech uh, R&D product development going on. And it seems that those stories don't get told as, as much. What do you think, David? Yeah, I mean, that is a really important point. Um, we, just as much as we like talking about our blue-collar workers, which I think is still possible, I think what you're speaking to is, is uh, the fact that we are also a cutting-edge industry. We use technologies, we use VR, um, we use Google Glass, we use other things on the on the on the facility floor that a lot of people may not fully realize and a lot of what a lot of folks policymakers included may feel like they can imagine what it looks like is this more traditional blue collar rust belt sort of factory floor but um i think that is a big issue and i think some more storytelling that we need to do is showing off what even you know a lot of these i mean honestly too like our our jobs overall pay better than average for manufacturing jobs um and a lot of it is highly skilled positions, and that's a big issue right now is workforce development and making sure we have the right workforce coming in with the right skill set to be able to perform these modern day jobs. Um, and and that's a that's a bit that's a big hurdle that we're trying to overcome right now and trying to work with policymakers and others to to do. But I think showing that um, we haven't probably done enough of that is showing that those types of really highly skilled modern using modern day technology um, with these workers. It's not this you know a sort of old school mentality of uh, in, in every case for sure of you know of you know what the factory floor used to look like there's a definitely a more modern approach in a lot of cases um and uh that sort of storytelling as well is very important of course I was uh visiting one of our manufacturing clients in south carolina and and exploring their floor and just marveling at the amount of digital transformation that had gone on around robotics and other of just-in-time inventory type things. And one of the things that they were really proud of was that they had been able to make this transformation to a much more uh, modern and uh, digitally enabled enterprise while still maintaining every single job Mm. and using that instead to educate everybody who had been there before on how to how they would interact with these new machines. I I think there's probably a very compelling story about the impact of digital transformation on manufacturing and kind of the the change to more knowledge-based careers and sort of where where different organizations are going and how they're enabling their existing teams to uh, do that yeah it's an interesting story and it's just that's it it's and it's so absent of the out of, yeah. in the political narrative yeah i wasn't even thinking about how you would tell people outside of you know the customers and things like that of the manufacturer that that's happening yeah very interesting yeah that's i mean that's a great example of I think could be possible through our VR sort of lens and you can see here's what a modern day worker is look like and they're they're putting on a Google Glass or look over a factory floor and see the robotics at play or other type of content you'd want to pour looks like and why policy that supports 
the right sort of workforce development. Well, David, I think this has been a fantastic uh, conversation. I really appreciated you bringing this perspective uh, to the show and uh, and really just exploring this with us further. I, there's been just a, a number of insights come out of it from uh, from an important, you know, just really reimagining and, and grasping the importance of earned media through to uh, internal communications uh, and and even uh, VR for uh, public affairs. So we've covered a lot of ground today. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for um, you know letting me have a chance to be part of a bit more of an offbeat <laughs> sort of edition. But uh, no, I this has been great. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, David. All the best. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. 